And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. This is Eno Saris. It's very strange for me. Uh, this is presented by Tops. Be sure to check out Tops Project 70. Uh, thanks for, for sponsoring the podcast, Tops. And thank you to our guest today, Paul Sporer, my longtime homeboy. Uh, we first uh, hung out, I think, at uh, Arizona Fall League. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were uh, the idiots in the back of the room. Uh, who got in? Got in there late uh, and tweeted everything that Ron Chandler was saying. Late, we were cracking jokes and we were tweeting too much because like they, they, they didn't much. mind if you share some, but we were kind of giving the game away there. So we got a not so direct direct message when Ron was like, "Okay, just so everyone knows, if you're tweeting out stuff, let's not make sure it's the word for word of what's going on here." <laughs> yeah. And it was definitely directed at us. Yeah, but we learned. Yeah. We've learned, and now we're on panels. There, we went from being part of uh, part of the audience to now being on panels at Fall League. And- I bet we'll have Fall League this year, hopefully. And that's what I'm saying, dude. I think that is maybe, you know, I've been trying to like, I, I went to the, the park last night to cover a game and I've been, I've been covered in some games, but th- there has not been a return to normal moment in covering games or like going to baseball parks. We might get there this weekend, a lot more hundred percent, um, you know, uh, park openings for fans mm-hmm. at least. But in terms of like covering a game, you're still not really allowed to interact with the players the same way. I for me, I think going to Arizona Fall League might be my sort of return to normal. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's something that I look forward to every year. I no longer tweet out everything everyone says. <laughs> um, same, same. But, but it was really cool. I the one one of the things I did tweet out was um, we they, they have a few scouts that will come there and, and talk, and one of them said, um, you know, that Freddie Freeman, uh, you know, looks terrible. Uh, has the wrong body, uh, his swing is terrible, and yet he can hit. And so his point was sort of about um, how, you know, we don't always, we get value from places that we don't uh, always expect it, and it doesn't mm-hmm. always look exactly the way uh, that you wanted. So, I, you know, I think about that sometimes with re- with reference to, like, Brandon Phillips. I used to hate Brandon Phillips types. You know, no walks, maybe uh, good contact, you know, good athlete, but, you know, not a great sort of, I always gravitated towards these people like Frank Thomas and David Wright and Chipper Jones that had like the 400 OBP, you know, walked at least 10, 12% of the time. Um, but, you know, Brandon Phillips gave people a lot of fantasy value uh, for a long time. Have you had a personal thing like that? I know this is off the rundown already. No, I it's the rundown. <laughs> I have the exact same weakness and yeah. it's still there to where I, I probably put too much emphasis on walks. They're great. They're helpful. I always talk about how, 
Uh, they're good at kind of helping prevent major slumps, too, if you're still getting on base. Right. You can still deliver fantasy value by taking your walks, scoring some of those ancillary runs, because everyone's going to have a cold streak. But if you could still go- give some measure of fantasy value, I think the walk, and then if it's a speedster who walks, then he can even steal a few bases when he's hitting 180 for three weeks, which is, again, going to happen to virtually everybody. So it's definitely something that I still kind of combat at times where I'm like, hey, just because somebody doesn't walk doesn't mean they're inherently a bad player. I think the best example of that right now is Adolis Garcia yeah, and how much I've been you know, ready to write him off. Now, I will say, I am still concerned about the fact that he strikes out as much as he does, and I would probably put him down for like a 100 to a 110 OPS plus, WRC plus the rest of the way. That can still be super useful, uh, but he walks 5% of the time, strikes out 30%. That's a profile for me that is nerve-wracking for sure. Tim Anderson was a guy I was missing on for years because he didn't walk. I did make the change on him finally and said, listen, this guy's just a really good player. But, but is it going to age completely That's right? the thing. You know, like, it will age terribly. That I that profile so. does age poorly. And we saw it a bit last year with Javier Baez. Now, he didn't have his video, and he's gotten better this year. But he is still a sub-300 OBP this year. He's a 294. Like He's back on track some, to having fantasy like, value. But like that's scary when you're sub-300 OBP. I feel like in some year, the hot streak that Javi Baez got to get back into our good graces, you know, won't just won't come. You yeah, know, exactly. Like the, and, and it'll be it'll be and we'll all be like clamoring. We'll be like, wow, Javi he does this every year. And then the, then the, that'll be the year that he's 32 and he gets hurt at the wrong time and, and just and it doesn't and it doesn't come back the way it does. So it, it, I totally agree with that. That's the thing, too, as maybe we're just thinking too forward about how those those profiles won't age. So maybe we should trust him a little bit more on the younger player who can just athleticism his way yeah. through it. And then once they hit late twenties, early thirties, then we can start to back off instead of dismissing them day one, like you and I tend to do sometimes on those profiles. Yeah. It's interesting too, that the, the deeper the league is, the more you can take a shot on these guys anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because like in AL labor, I ended up with uh, Akil Badu and Adolis Garcia. And the way that I ended up with them was uh, with some aggressive FAAB bids. So I think I bid like 11 on Akil Badu and uh, like eight or nine on Adolis Garcia, just like it's the minute they were up. And I was like, these guys could play. And in AL only, that allows you to take a shot on someone just because they can play. They'll, yeah, they'll playing play. time. <laughs> playing it. time drives everything in d- deep leagues like that. And I kind of like that sometimes. You know, we talk about, I think sometimes there's this perception that deeper leagues are harder. In some ways, they're easier because if you have a pulse, you matter. Whereas in like a 10 team league, you look at the waiver wire, you see 50 guys that you like that you would love to kill for. Really? You should almost like stream. Exactly. Like Like you can't play everybody. And you know, a guy who's kind of struggling, but he's like a medium, good level player. He needs to be cut for the hot hand. So you can make a case that sometimes the shower leagues, they can be tougher on their, in their own right. And the bottom line is that, Leagues present their own challenges depending on what their right. format is. And deeper leagues are not inherently harder or better. And shallow leagues are not inherently worse just because there's more talent to go around. They ask you to do different things. And so yeah. I like that about having a mix of I think of I had leagues. the hardest time actually with shallower leagues where I'm like, I can't drop this proven performer yep. uh, just because he's heading into San Francisco for a week and this other guy is in Colorado you know, the, and but a lot of times you should, should do that. Yeah, yeah a lot of you, times you, you probably should. Because maybe you could get the proven performer back after the week in San Francisco, right? Because exactly. you should really just have a more fluid roster. But I, you know, this year I, I heard you guys talking on the sleeper on the bus, you and Justin Mason, which uh, is uh, I'm biased, but it's uh, it's a great podcast. 
Um, <laughs> as is this one. Two of the best out there, I'd say. Um, and, uh, you know, I heard you guys talk about how, like, it's setting in right now that we're not, you know, that it's, that it's, it's not, not last year. Last year. That it's, yep. that it's like we've got four more months. And you know how it's really setting in for me when I look at my FAV remaining. <laughs> and did you realize that maybe you were bidding as if it were last year a little bit i have a couple leagues like that too where i'm like "Uh oh now i need to stretch this out oh, and if, it, if it's in the nfbc league there's no zero dollar bids i know um one of labor or tout has no zeros and the other tout. does allow zero. i think labor, labor has, has no zero yeah tout does allow you to do zeros but if you're running out now it's like well how are you going to manage that yeah and uh but i'm of two minds like you know one thing about you could say about fab is like if you uh, hold the hammer for the trade deadline, I, mm-hmm. I actually kind of don't like that because I feel that, um, first of all, four months, five months of the season are gone. Yep. So you're, you held the no, hammer. Four months. Four months. Four you have months. August and September. Yeah, yeah, right. You, four months of the season are gone. You, you, you held the hammer, but you only get one third of the season. Mm-hmm. If you, for example, got Adolis Garcia with the hammer, but that's not a great example, but if you got, Oh, oh, how about the first round of call-ups? So let's say, let's say yeah. Kelnick, like, let's play, let's pretend that Kelnick is, is killing it. Yeah. And, and that you used your hammer early to get Kelnick, Jared Kelnick, and, and, and he's just killing it. Then you would have six months of, of that, right? Or, Kelnick and Manoa. Say you, there you spent go. like a, Manoa is a great chunk example. on both I think Manoa is going to kill it all year. And, I do too. And, but I, I blew it out on Shane McClan- Shane McClanahan, who's who I think is also well. going to get a kill it all year. But, yeah. but, but, but let's say, I think that's a better move if it works out because you get the full season than waiting uh, for a trade deadline or like a September call up or something, you know, later, you know, yeah. there are these patterns to the season where there's two weeks in the season, someone gets called up and then June, the next one is, is we're right in the middle of it in, in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. If Wander Franco doesn't get pulled, called up in the next week or so, he won't get called up till September. I think, you know, there's I think kind so of a too. cadence unless, to this sort of stuff. Unless a need opens up. But the trouble with him was they had three guys in the minors. Wall's already up. Bruhan absolutely killing it. And then there's Franco, who's doing well, but he's not ahead of Bruhan right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and it is interesting to talk about that depth chart because you've got, I think, the weaknesses at center, um, and then maybe at second. And so if you push Brandon Lau, you could push Brandon Lau into like the first base group, right? True. With Choi, first base DH. You could do that. Or a little outfield action, maybe. Once or yeah. twice a week he plays in left field, right field just sort of dial back on the everyday he's not an everyday guy anyway they're sort of pretty much done with him against lefties so you could sort of just move him around a little bit more uh and just put vidal at, at second but bruhan's also playing in the outfield um and kiermeyer i think you guys even talked about this a little bit kiermeyer is just an offensive sinkhole right now big time um, and and at some point the defense is not going to be enough uh, and I think pro- part of the proof of that is that I've, they've been shopping him forever and they, yeah, nobody's bought. They're desperate to try to get rid of him, but he's not doing enough uh, as a one-sided player on defense to, to really draw interest there. And I think they would love to get rid of him in the offseason. It is interesting if Bruhan can play a, a, a true center field. That would be huge for them, of course, just for the future, because then you could feasibly set up Walls, Franco, Bruhan in second, short, and center, respectively, and that's an insane trio. So right. the, the Rays are rich in uh, in in talent as they generally have been the last like you know what 
damn, dang near a decade at this point. Yeah, because you can't, you don't normally turn 27 as a Tempe Ray. Um, anyway, uh, uh, the 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 point about FAB though, the larger point I think is that I just wanted to kind of get your feeling on like how you try to sort of marry the the you know holding on to the hammer, um, you know when to use the hammer. Like how how much do you have in your typical? How much FAB do you have in your typical league? I think I'm around. I think my average FAB is around thirty percent left. Uh, yeah, and I go I go around that as well. And like I'm I'm with I'm in your frame of mind here. Of like I'm gonna go for the guys that can really move the needle for me early. Um, obviously, I'll be wrong sometimes, but I'm gonna take those shots because I get the longer time frame with them. Like even Adolis Garcia, somebody maybe I wasn't bought in on originally. Like I said, even if he's a 100 OPS plus the rest of the way, that volume that he's gonna mm-hmm. deliver because I do believe his power is pretty legit. And if they let him keep running, um, he's still gonna be very good from here on out as a fantasy producer. So I like to be aggressive early in my main event, which I'm actually doing quite well in. If I can, uh, if I can toot the old horn just a little, it's super early, so I know I haven't won a darn thing mm-hmm. but i am seventh overall in the main event nice. i still have 622 there which i'm told from main event veterans That's is good. still very good so i feel great there uh i have 301 left in an oc that i'm that i'm leading an online championship uh, Rotowire online championship that's out of a thousand so that's that 30 percent you're talking about i guess i'm closer to 50 to 30 to 50 percent range with that 622 being a, a high end right there because i have 530 535 in the tgfbi 500 in the beat paul spore league and then 67 in labor that's out of 100 where there are no zero dollar bids though right. so we've been a little bit cautious we lost manoa we had manoa for 24 bucks same bid standings tie break no fred zinke being three spots lower than Dude, us he got went him 56 in al labor and I, you know i wanted to be aggressive and i was like i think i, I think thought i was being aggressive with 22 but i was like I, the third the third highest yeah I, so you'd have been you'd have been in line with us in the mixed league 24 bucks out of 100 um and i wish i'd have just gone you know 24 is my favorite number i kind of went with that i wish i'd have gone like obviously 25 26 we'd have gotten him so uh i think i'm doing all right in fab right now though yeah. while still being aggressive I don't I'm not panicked anywhere even the league where I only have $301 because that's a 12 teamer and you know I don't know if you're in an online championship league but the 12 teamers are so much different than the 15 teamers in terms of the bidding that $300 from here on out can definitely get you to the finish line because players are so cheap it's insane a guy will go for 200 in the 15 teamer and in some 12 team leagues he'll be like $32 $32 and it just wow. doesn't the disconnect is insane I still haven't quite figured out the cadence of bidding in 12 teamers but uh, I think the 301 there will be fine so I'm kind of living is, in that 50 to 30 percent range this is a, like my second year playing uh, multiple NFBC teams so uh, I uh, I probably was a little bit over aggressive uh, early on when it came to uh, to bidding um, I range from, I think I have like 250 left in one league, uh, to, to 500 in my, uh, my best team is the, um, uh, Rotowire. I've got a Rotowire team that I'm like, uh, top third, like I think third maybe or something. And I've got, that's great. Five, 600 bucks left. And I feel that, like that'll definitely work in that one. Yeah. That will definitely work. Even the one where you have 250, you're not toast in. I think um, that might be the 12 teamer. So, and I, I've been like, you'll be fine. I, it's okay. I'm spending like two, three bucks and getting like uh, streamers yep. for that. And like, you get legit players for yeah. single digit bids 
regularly in the 12 teams. So basically, I would go through your history of the of where you've been bidding there, and you could probably lower the bid substantially the rest of the way and still get to the finish line with your two. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to because I keep looking at that top number being like, oof. <laughs> all right let's remove five bucks from all these <laughs> yeah exactly that's i on sunday i end up like trickling down everything a few, <laughs> previous years i would raise it i would bid against myself i'd be like i gotta go higher and then i'd be 40 dollars over the next bid this no, I've year got, like, no I've, been, money. <laughs> I've been going the other way i'm like okay i had 32 dollar bid here i'm gonna go down eight dollars and then three minutes later i'll come back in i'm gonna shave off two more dollars and for the most part that has not burned me i did not adjust that manoa bid in labor i left it at 24 and we tied with fred zinke the tough part too not only that we lost to a tiebreaker but to fred zinke one of the best players in the entire industry and not that there's anybody bad in labor but mm-hmm. to lose to one of the upper echelon players who's now going to get uh alec manoa that was the biggest and also bummer. because you're ahead of the standings exactly so now he's <laughs> going to catch us probably and he's a great player that's a trading league which is his forte so it's uh it's a whole mess but yeah that's i i'm i'm not too far from you in terms of fabs 300 or 30 to 50 percent left um ranging up as high as 60 percent in a couple of my leagues yeah i think um there's a you know, another thing you could do with Fabs that I that has been saving me money is just identify a lot of players you like. You yes. Know? And the deeper your your Fab is, the deeper your 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 fans that your acquisition list is, the 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 cheaper you can be with the whole list. You know, because yeah, you're like, absolutely. Oh, if I don't get that picture, this guy's like, you know, is like vaguely comparative. You know, so. You know, why don't I only bid 11 on that guy and, you know, nine on this guy or seven on that guy? That's and, a great call. Uh, yeah. That, so the that deeper, was a mistake the deeper I made. my list of, of the deeper. So when I when I only have like two players I can bid on that that fill my need, I'm like, oh, man, I got to bid. That's high. when you start bidding against yourself. Exactly. And I totally yeah. agree with that, that when you realize that your one guy isn't that special and you're like, yeah. here's four other guys who could reasonably do the same thing. You start bringing all the bids down. So some of it is just doing the extra elbow grease to dig into the pool and see what's there. Now, sometimes the the wire is dry, but other times it's more fruitful than you think. And then you start finding names and you can bring down the bids for everyone. So that's a great call out. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things is when the wire is dry and you have a need and there's only two names that fit it and you don't want to spend on them. <laughs> I hate that. And I'm like, I really have to put and, and sometimes I just won't. And I've gotten better conviction over that in the last year or two. Of but like, zeros are death. Like you can't. Have it, that's zero. the thing, too. You still need to get somebody. So what I'll end up doing if I don't love the, the like one or two names that would really fill the hole is I will find those scrubs who are just going to play that I can put three, four dollars on. Yep. And I'll just try to get by with that because I don't want to overspend on some clown that I know is not going to be on this team after so-and-so gets back from injury. And so you got to try to balance all that, but that's kind of the fun of fab. And my Sundays are spent, uh, you know, going through all the waiver wires like that. And it's been fun so far though. I'm off to a pretty good start overall. Do you you try to, 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 to make it a one day experience or do you, I will, if I think of a name just like randomly, like I'm just out for walk with the dog. I'm on air, my computer. I think of somebody, I'll go into that league check if they're available and put them on the list to deal with on Sunday. So I don't forget any names, but for the most part, it's a one day thing that kind of starts on Sunday. Yeah. To go in there. Like everyone's a $1 bid that I put the names in during the week. I I don't even try the, try to do the bid yet. I'll wait till Saturday night, Sunday morning to start doing all the bids. I might do like a 10, nine, eight, seven, six to sort them. 
to sort them that just makes so sense have, too like, an idea, just in case then, because you yeah. never know like what if life happens and you don't get a chance to actually go and put those bids at least you have something there so that's pretty smart but i usually have a bunch of guys by the time saturday night sunday morning comes so that way if something happened i would at least have 15 guys for one dollar and probably get at least one of them so i like to make sure i get uh i'm covered in case life happens like i said yeah, I get this question sometimes if, if people ask me, like, I, you know, don't get mad. I like, I think you're a good analyst, but do you think you're a good uh, player? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I haven't gotten that, but I'm sure a lot of people think that about me. They're like, and oh, I you're like, not very good. Well, one of the things is, is like, you know, the leagues that I've been playing the longest, I do the best in. Mm-hmm. Like, Labor this year, I, I'm in second right now, uh, battling Ian Khan. Who's um, also a fantastic player, so you have your work cut out for you there. And Schechter's up there. Oh, um, another but, fantastic player. But like the last three years, I've been like sort of uh, fourth, third, second. Like I've, I've been bubbling towards the top because mm-hmm. I'm out later for 10 years, I think. Yeah. So like I, I understand how it works. I understand how bidding works. I don't make as many big bidding mistakes as I used to and stuff like that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, I'm only like two or three years into NFBC. So, uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, I might win, uh, like a rotowire, you know, league. Uh, I don't, I, I, like, if you look at my TGFBI numbers, you know, I know that's a, a mine, uh, a minefield right now <laughs> with yeah. in, internally in the industry. Uh, but, uh, I don't think my ranking is, is, is very good, um, in, in TGFBI, but you know, like I, I, it takes me some time to sort of learn a format. Um, and the, the things I've been playing the longest are like super deep and, uh, dynasty. No, and- I'm, I'm with you and you've been in devil's rejects forever too, but like, I'm with you on the learning of a format. In fact, when I first got into NFBC, my friend who brought me in, Dusty Wagner told me like, there's a, there's a couple year learning curve, which I, I took him at his, at his word and I didn't, I didn't disbelieve him, but I probably didn't give it as much credence as I should have. Like. It is going to take you a while. I am not those, like I haven't dropped down money for like anything big yet. Like yeah, the, and those first few years, most I'm I was spending like, is like three, four, five hundred on a on a yearly budget for NFBC in these first two years. Yeah, and I was getting clobbered, and I like I, you're right. It does take a while, and so you know the last couple of years, like for a while, we split our our main event. So I wasn't I was still a big sum, half of seventeen hundred, right. but then started going out on my own and I'm starting to see better results and hopefully this is a good year for me, but it's not easy. And I think there is something to be said for kind of like learning the format and everything. I'm with you. My TGFBI numbers don't check out as like great. And I understand that people can use that to kind of judge us, but like, 
I think the advice and everything that I give, the 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 writing and podcasting that I do, is sound in terms of what I'm doing to to come up with these points and takes on players that I have. So I do think there can just because you can uh, maybe not have the most success in a fantasy league doesn't mean that you're not a good analyst and vice versa. I don't know that some of the best players in fantasy would necessarily be good analysts. And then there's the people who can do both and, and good, good on those people who dominate their leagues, dominate DFS, and they're able to give uh, good analysis. But it, it's, it's not easy. And I, I think I wonder be- if those people also write a bunch of columns because there's, there's just something about like putting my lists out. For everyone to see, you know, and, and, I was, yeah, I'm in a beat Paul Spore league. You don't think they're using my list? Oh my god, I, I drafted some league on NFBC where like Jose Urquidy went in like the fifth or sixth round, like two picks before me, and I'm like, I know what yep. just happened. Yep, no, you, you you know, and again, I'm not trying when I say like they're using my list. I'm not saying that that's all they're using, but they look at my lists to they know can, that yeah, if we, they can if we both you. like a guy, if yeah, I like, like a guy, that I gotta get yep. him before you know in this turn right here. Like so. Tommy Edmond, I you had it with Arkady, who by the way, listen, you're you're better than me. You're more important than me. But Urquidy being solely an Eno guy has rubbed me the wrong way. I'm, in, I'm on the Urquidy love, too. No, now, I'm not right. trying to take him from you. This is not a you thing. This is everyone giving you Urquidy. I'm like, I've been there from day one, too. I, I want in on this rise of Urquidy. And everyone's like, oh, he's an Eno guy. I'm like, oh, really? Just an That's Eno actually, guy. That's actually, I think, a flaw in the industry is this idea. I think it, it actually bubbles up all the way from prospecting where – you know, uh, there aren't that many people that go negative on prospects. Yeah, yeah. And there, and like, you know, like this whole like Corey Kluber thing where, you know, there aren't that many people that go negative on any player. Uh, and so what it creates is this industry incentive to go hard positive yep. on a certain player. To, to get your guy, plant your flag. Yeah. And so I was like, JT Brubaker and, yep. and Jose O'Keefe are my guy. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to. I, I was just like, you know, I consistently rank them higher than most people mm-hmm. and i talk about them uh and they fit into my my system my, my approach and um you know uh but it's it is this idea that we like take stake in certain players and we get wins for them yep um but the you know if we don't do that this can be a very for- unforgiving industry like we uh we get constantly bombarded with uh feedback about our misses Yes, exactly. So if you don't have those those wins out there, players that you do like that do hit, then you could just be taking, quote unquote, taking L's all day. All day, like, yeah. Cause... You don't want that either. So I totally understand it. By the way, I've, I've never been like, you know, stole Urquidy from me. <laughs> it's more like, because if you don't think that some of my Urquidy love was born of reading you, then I, I would be foolish to suggest otherwise. Um, no, but and, I thought it, about it a little bit with Brubaker because someone, Kim, uh, who's who's a, a, a great f- friend of ours, we, you know, he's written mm-hmm. at Fangraphs and he's uh, coming to the States to, to study in New York. Um He's great. He, uh, and, and he was working with uh, a team in, in Korea for uh, for a little bit last year. Um, he he said something like, you know, here's a guy that I want to like, you know, JT Brubaker is a guy that I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to uh, put my stake in. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's why I, I, I agree. I had him really high, too. And then I was like, wait, did I just. Did I just do the thing? <laughs> yeah, it's like you don't. No, you can't have Brubaker. That's have the Brubaker. thing too. It's like people can't that you not. Oh, you don't own a guy either. And like, well, I, nobody else can write about him or talk about yeah. him. That's my guy. So we're gonna have overlap. Uh, and like, anytime 
that you're on a picture that that I like, I, I feel that's a reinforcement of my beliefs because you and I share a lot of the, the same thoughts on on players and analyzing. And of course, you have the stuff plus command plus stuff that if it's backing up somebody that I already liked, I'm like, well, now I know I'm in the right. <laughs> like, I don't know. I kind of use it as like, okay. I, I'm on the right track here. Yeah. If so, if Eno is really in love with a pitcher that I like too, if you're completely against the play, or if I'm completely against you, I have to question myself. And the guy that I realized that and I'm not just blowing smoke up your eyes. I, I realized when you were aggressively on this guy, I was like, did I mess up on Cattell Marte? And <laughs> early on, he's only played 19 games, but early on, I absolutely did. And I was worried, you know, and, and you, well, I'm sure you, you've know, explained man. it. The but injuries are part of it, though, aren't they? The like, injuries are no, pretty but, injured. No, I can't I can't pretend that that's why I was off of him. Uh, I was concerned that the 20 power, even though 20 was such a small season, I was concerned that the 20 power output was too reminiscent of 18. And it, and, and it made 19 look more flukish. So I was concerned that his power, even if it was, even if it was only 45 games, I was like, Oh man, what if his power doesn't come back? And he doesn't run. He has the speed, but whether it's his choice or Arizona's or a mix of both, he does not run. So my concern was, yeah, you're going to get a good batting average, but what kind of power and the steals are going to be a little sprinkling of like eight steals. So I was worried. And then the power's back from like day one. He looks great. The health is the only issue. But uh, I knew I was in trouble when you were like, he was one of your big guys. Like you were big on Cattell Marte. I remember one of the pods you guys were talking about, like, oh, I'm getting Marte in every draft. Did you end up getting him in most of your drafts? Yeah. I mean, all of my NFC teams have Marte and Altuve. Yeah. And I, I like him. I like and, both and, and, of those. A lot, and a couple of them have both. So that, that's uh, that's huge. But, but what's interesting to me is that both of those, on at least one level, were kind of just projection plays for me. Where I just I almost just like plugged them into the auction calculator and I was like, look, they're this just by projections, they're the second and you know third or or in some cases first best second baseman in the in the in the pool, and everyone's yeah. doing Hura and Albies. Yep. And I'm like, I can wait around or two or three and get Marte and Altuve. Hero um, is one I didn't fall for, but Albies, you've been on Albies for you got me on Albies, and I always say like I'm just I'm just the bullhorn for Eno's Albies love because I did not know about him till you first got on him, and I've loved him ever since, and I still am with him. But the, the I agree with you that Altuve was people quit on Altuve. I think for no real. Good reason. I mean, I know his 2020 was bad, and then and, and then not there's stealing as much. But I think, that, but generally, this is what's so hard to see because the projections for Marte only had 20 homers in him. Yeah, you know, and uh, the, and people were saying like Altuve didn't steal bases. The projections only had like 12, 15 stolen bases in there. And it was you know? he was still trickling to the top because I think what we didn't emphasize enough, and it was talked about. I don't want to say nobody talked about right, it. What right. wasn't emphasized enough was that second base was garbage this yes, year yeah, at yeah. the top. And then once you got past the first like seven or eight guys, there was a glob of like 30 of the same player. Like yeah. you can't tell me now he's been great this year, so it's different. But you can't tell me that Ryan McMahon should have had that different of a projection from Mike Moustakis. And I like Moustakis, right. but they were going – a hundred plus picks apart and you can't tell me that they were and that people different. people love them and they're i mean yeah one's doing well and one isn't but the, the point was that they and they were kind of the they were like the last hurrahs like it gets even yeah. worse after that so uh but one other thing that i i see that's common here uh at least among sort of martin altuve and another guy that i have a lot of is segura and what i see is common there is that the some of the hardest value to see is when a guy hits like 
275 and hits like 18 homers and steals 10 bases or yep. eight bases. It feels like there's nothing high impact because he doesn't have one standout category. Yeah, like people, like nobody wanted Segura. I got him super late in a lot of places, and he was really cool because he has that 2B3B, so he's like a CIMI. Four positions, yeah, exactly. Four positions plus util, of course, and that's a huge factor too. He's on most Se- of my uh, on my cut line. Segura teams. was uh, was definitely somebody I was looking at. Like people are just forgetting him. Yeah, and I totally agree with you that the, I call him kitchen sink guys, guys who do a bit of everything. Um, and they, and the bottom line contribution is huge at the end of the year, but nobody sees it as standout because there's not a ton of SBs. There's not a ton of power. There's not a 300 plus average. There's not a hundred runs or a hundred ribbies. It's just good across the board. I love those players and they definitely are undervalued in fantasy. Every so what's year. your, so you, 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 you've come, you've, you've come to a good place in, in, in MFPC. Where, what, like, what's your favorite format? Where did you come from? Where does your favorite format now? So I grew up, I grew up playing an AL only 10 team league that my dad started at his work in 1989. uh, I got to be around the drafts for the first few years and I was always begging for a team. I finally got a team. I think when I was 11 or 12 when I first got a team and, you know, my dad was like helping me make my lists and everything, but I got to draft and, and, and do my own thing. So I grew up kind of in the depths a, a 10 team al only wow, and they yeah. used they use double catchers and everything wow. corner and middle like i remember drafting guys like pat mears <laughs> and just the, the lamest backup ca- two catchers and al only are you kidding oh, me God. so i started the i hate the most about al <laughs> I, I i started in like the deep so like yeah. getting into a player pool where i've really found that i like it i love the the five by five 12 to 15 team range i think that's my wheelhouse um, the one format that I don't love, um, I've come around on head to head. I used to be not so much on head to head. I like head to head points. I don't like head to head categories as much where, you know, 20 wins or, you know, not, you wouldn't get 20 wins in a week, but like six wins for you, four wins for me, you win the category, you get a win. And then sometimes if you are going to do head to head categories, I think each category should be a game, quote unquote. So if you beat me six categories to four, then you went six and four for the week. I right. don't like when it's like you won one six oh. categories to four and you're now one and oh, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't like that as much. So that's probably my least favorite format, but I've come around on head to head points. I like 10 teamers for the challenge I was talking about with like the waiver wire thing. I think it's a completely different set of challenges. But if you want my wheelhouse, it's going to be 12 to 15 standard five by five. I, I still really like, I know the flaws of average. I know guys don't steal bases that much anymore. I understand that. I don't think we necessarily need to change them. They're, it's just a different league that we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think some of my favorite formats are the super deep. I like, uh, I like labor overall. I like the mm-hmm. 12 team AL only two catches. It's just ridiculous. It forces me to also just know the player pool all the way down to the, to the very to the nitty gritty. Exactly. And like you said, that's 12 team AL only. We have five like outfielders. That, We're starting 60 American that is, league outfielders. That is nuts. And, and like you said, that helped you get Badu and Garcia because you're like, Tigers and Rangers are going to play these two guys. I might as well get them regardless of what their projections are. So sometimes um, I forget to then uh, like follow that player all the way up to like my 10 teamer. Like I'll have players where like, oh, I have I've had Garcia in AL labor since the very beginning. 
I forgot to pick him up. Maybe I should get him in my OC. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> then he goes off the way he has, too. I, I, I feel like he hits a homer every other But now day I'm like, he's still going to hit 230 going forward, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I really, really think so. But again, that 230 can be valuable in a lot of leagues because Powerful A, does it's got power. And B, batting average, a 230 average is not the not sinkhole. as it used to yeah, be. Yeah. Like, what's the league average right now? Like 250 or something? Yeah. No, it's, it's below. It's like 240. It's below. So, yeah, if you're hitting 230 with power and you're sprinkling in some steals, like I said, even if Adolis Garcia, I know I've repeated it a few times, but even if he's a 100 WRC plus rest of the way, I bet he's a top 100 hitter, I would say. Maybe he'll not 100 player. He'll but keep he'll, the job yeah, on he, that team. Yep. And he'll, and, and he'll continue why to play. Not? Yeah. By the way, cards are really putting some talent out into the league with a Rosa Reina, Voight, and uh, now Adolis Garcia. Now, they got something back for Voight and Arena, uh, Rosa Reina, so I don't want to hear cards fans cry about that, but they just discarded Garcia, and now he's killed. The, the Rangers discarded Garcia. He, they DFA'd him when they signed Fultonevich, and they had to, and then he didn't get picked up. They had to put him back anybody. on the 40 man. Yeah, so then they put him back on the 40 man. So I, that's, that shows you how nobody well, wanted Adolis Garcia. Here's an interesting side point. Um, I looked at this a while back. Uh, the Yankees, Cardinals, and Rangers uh, produce the most major league talent. Really, it doesn't the mean Rangers that they're in there too. That's doesn't mean that they're on those respective yeah, teams, but they come from their systems. Yeah. So that's that the, was uh, like that was like the two or three years ago. You I, know what I would I wonder where Houston ranks um, because at a point. In 19, I don't remember. I, I never followed through with it, but at, at a point in 19, I was realizing how many guys had touched the Houston system. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, Ramon Laureano was one, of course, the JD Martinez thing. I had a whole list of guys and they weren't just all stars. They were a big range. So I wonder where they would rank if you did a rerun of that on, in 2021, where, which systems provide the most talent. I can talent. tell you who's not producing major leaguers is the Rockies. Re- well, yeah, no, that makes sense. They no, trade they, away they, their they guys get all the time. But when was yeah. the last time you were like, oh, this was the A that was traded for? No, they know how to get rid of the youngsters. That yeah. like, like, obviously, they traded Josh Donaldson, but he was fully formed stud. And that was obviously a mess up. But when they traded But they actually leaders, didn't even draft him. Yeah, exactly. They, and they, tra- they traded for him as a minor leaguer. So What they're more, inc- more likely to do is to get the guys from those systems that you're talking about that – blow up on their team like oh they got them from the Yankees they got James Caprillion from the Yankees right. as an afterthought because of how hurt he got they got Ramon Oriano from the Astros 40 man you crunch. know exactly so they take advantage of other teams issues like that they don't necessarily develop themselves which by the way how, how do you think we're going to go with Lazardo and Puck what, what do you think is the long sorry to divert from uh yeah, what no, we need no. to talk about but since we brought up A's are either of them going to develop into the frontliners that we have been hoping for do you I'm think a little bit I'm a little bit disappointed with A's pitching development. We, we give them we give them like love for it because I think they find guys that are mostly formed and give them the final touch. But do they really build guys up from the bottom? Like uh, I actually like, don't even know how much of that they do. I think that the park uh, actually erases some flaws. You know, like I think that's if true. It, if if Mike Fires was uh, pitching in in Yankee Stadium, no chance he'd have done what he did there. <laughs> Bassett, uh, I like what Bassett's doing. He's but yeah, some Bassett, strikeouts like this what if year? he was still a White Sox? Like, no I don't, chance. I don't no think chance. he would have the same uh, career. I think he'd be in the pen by now. Yeah, so, he probably wouldn't have gotten to this point because all those years when he didn't strike anybody out, the White Sox would have moved him to a different role. But now he's actually a strikeout stud. So 
being with Oakland and having that now park. he could probably be an okay White Sox. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it would have. But had the three years history. before that, I I don't when he was striking out seven per nine. I think they might have moved on. But in terms as, of as like a starter, and in terms of like stuff plus like none like all their guys are bat like bat like oh wow bat. really Cole Irvin is like a seventy stuff plus. I'm not surprised on that. <laughs> Dalton Jeffries is like a was like a like a seventy seven. You scared me uh, off of him when you gave the stuff plus number on him at the beginning of the season, and I, I, I had him as like a late target type of guy, and I moved off when you said his and stuff was even, that wonky. They have it, like I think the, t- I think the fact that Caprellian moved ahead of him says something about how they think of him internally. Yep. Uh, Caprellian is close to a hundred, but one of the problems is that I think his sinker is better than his four seam, but he's using his four seam more often. Yes. So he has like a weird arm slot. If you think about it, none of their guys, none of their guys have the the arm slot that everybody wants in baseball. None of them have. The like top of, you know, like a like a sort of top three quarters. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of like out here in that. In, like, think fr- about Manaya. Manaya yep. has a like, he's like a slinger almost. He kind of slangs it. Yeah. Caprellian is like two thirds. Lizardo is two thirds. And I think if Lizardo was over the top, he would be U- Urias. Like if he could oh. have a better arm slot, he has a lot of the, f- the fundamental building blocks of Urias, right? Yep. He but really what did does. Urias do? Improved his his breaking ball. We don't have to talk about exactly what mechanism because <laughs> he's on the Dodgers sure. and there's a reputation there. But uh, uh, he improved his breaking ball and is now his breaking ball is ahead of his changeup. Uh, and his four seamer is way better than Luzardo's by Stuff Plus because it has more ride. So Urias and Luzardo, you're like, okay, if you if you just if you didn't know that much about pitch movement, you just sort of watch them. You'd be like, okay, both of them are 94 to 96. Left, left side, side yeah. you know, uh, change up first with an okay breaking ball, you know, mid-80s breaking ball. What's the problem here? Why is one good and one bad? Well, Luzardo's arm slot is lower and all of his stuff doesn't doesn't move the way we want it to. He doesn't have the same sort of vertical movement. And his uh, breaking ball sometimes gets really soft and slurvy, sort of 82 when he needs, like, add the pen. He's going to be great because now, now his breaking ball is 88. He threw an yep. 88 mile an hour curveball the other day. I was like, yeah, he's going to get that extra, <laughs> that extra velo and he's going to be like a two to three inning stud. So he's going to have value in certain leagues. But I mean, we were he was drafted as a top 100 guy. I know. Uh, and I, that, I actually count him as one of my biggest mistakes this year. Uh, I, I liked him, but I actually I did back off when it was top 100, uh, but I definitely did not see this coming. So I can't pretend that I was anywhere near seeing failure. I just thought top 100 was a little aggressive. And here we are now with a 506 ERA and a trip to the bullpen for the foreseeable future. Yeah. What's weird about it is that they said he's in the bullpen, but they didn't say for a little bit. No, they just said he's, he's in the, the bullpen, bullpen guy. Yeah, and I'm I was like, like oh, uh, okay. Because remember last year they started him in the bullpen. And it was like three, three inning outings, and they were and like kind of like we're building. Yeah, yeah there was, there was but this a whole did idea not. This, they did not give no, that caveat. There's no schedule here. They just so, said he's off to the bullpen. I mean, like ten team or droppable. Twelve teamer, I think so too. Twelve team or droppable. Fifteen team. It's a like still that, He's in that sort of Christian Javier moment where, and Christian Javier is better. Uh, yep. where you're kind of like, oh, God, do I drop this guy? I can't really put him in my reliever slot because he's not going to get me saves. Can you reserve him? But then if you're if you're loaded on your reserve is all injuries. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, you know, Javier lost out to Luis Garcia, which kind of shows where they stand with Luis Garcia, even though the two have been pretty close. I, 
I thought Javier would win that. I thought Garcia would get sent down. Well, there's a little bit of a command plus situation there. Maybe where Javier might have reliever command. He's like more of a sort of 87. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Garcia is more like 95. There's there's something okay. meaningful maybe about 90. I don't know, though. I, I also think that this might just be long-term innings massaging. And oh, that's that fair. There yeah. might be a moment where they're like, now Christian Javier is starting Flip. and Garcia's to the pen. Yep. So that's I a would good hold on to those guys. And I think the one nice thing I can say about Javier right now is that it, we in in the in the context of our earlier conversation about um no zeros and bidding, mm-hmm. having a guy like Javier or Luzardo on your 15 team bench can in can help you reduce your fab bids because you're like worst case scenario i throw javier in as my final starter and just get some and maybe i get a win yeah because if they bring him in 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 the middle yeah yeah pitch two three innings in the between fifth and eighth innings that's a lot of times when the game is decided anyway i could see stealing some w's with Javier in that role. And I agree. I would not cut him. I, even in 12-teamers, I'd really be finding a way. To, now, if you get pushed up against the wall because you have all these injuries, I get it. But if you can afford to keep Javier, he, he should be kept. I think your point about it's his turn now and then Garcia's turn it later be, yeah. is very smart. I think around the All-Star break, we'll probably see him get – you know how they get sent down to like A-ball because it's like the closest uh, uh, affiliate to where they can still be working and then they'll come back right after the All-Star. I think he'll get one of those – Plus a little bit of an extended break for Garcia and Javier right. will fill And that'll be the or, hardest. That might be the hardest time to keep him is when they we're setting him down to stretch him out. Please be not lying to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, God. What do you do? I, I remember you when those actually first started happening. Out, right? They started happening like four or five years ago. Those those demotions around the All-Star break started happening. And you'd panic. Yeah. I think I think they happened to this guy. Now, this when I say this name, you're going to laugh and be like, well, this guy was never fantasy viable. But Chris Tillman did have some fantasy viability. Don't forget there was a yeah, year yeah, yeah. where, you know, he had he some, had some years okay of... okay years in Baltimore. Yeah. Sub four ERAs for a while in an All-Star bid. But he got sent out one time. And everyone freaked out. It was in the midst of a good year. We're like, what the heck is happening? And it was just one of those, hey, we're keeping him here because he didn't make Sometimes the All-Star it's to team. to keep innings down or it's to keep just him to up. Keep, or, yeah, yeah keep it was just schedule. to keep him on schedule. Yeah, And yeah. everyone freaked out. <laughs> and now it's more commonplace. And I bet I bet we see something like that with Luis Garcia. Yeah. So uh, the the other thing that I would say, and this is this is me being cynical a little bit, is that Jake Odorizzi signed – uh, a very incentive-laden contract that has all these markers in it for innings and starts. Cool. And I... Uh, listen... You're not wrong. You don't have to say it, but you're not wrong. I mean... Well, look at how if, you're running a team, if you're running a team, you could also say, hey, my best rotation does not have Jake Odorizzi in it. That could happen soon. True, true. You could say that. And you could say Jake Odorizzi sometimes struggles third time through the order. So mm-hmm. by making him my four-inning guy or my three-inning middle-of-game guy, like we might get the most value out of him. That's um, true. And so those things are true, but they would also make him a cheaper player for your team. So Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, Odorizzi got somehow backed in the corner and that was the best deal he could get. So uh, I know. And that, that surprised me. I'm, I'm an Odorizzi fan. Obviously he struggled a lot last year and it made his market pretty ugly. And obviously he hasn't really done much yet this year. I think that's a good call out. Um, it's a lot harder to justify when you have someone like Kenta Maeda with the Dodgers, when he would just be pitching his butt off and then like, you're a reliever now. It's like, wait, why? And it's like all these incentive parts of his deal yeah. uh, that would Plus come through Plus his it. velo kind of drops off at the end of the well, season. <laughs> they would find any, you know, and yeah, it would. But 
it was always suspect when they did that. But with Odorizzi, it is going to be an easier sell. And I think that so, that could help them make sure that they get somebody Garcia else and get Javier in there. I mean, Urquidy's already had the shoulder. So what if he, mm-hmm. he gets back on? So what if Fromber's fingers messed up? But anyway, I know we got a rundown to get to. So let's, let's dive in. <laughs> Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Uh, so let's see here. I've got uh, two pitchers here. And the, the, the overall question is, like, you know, I'd rather I'd like to hear sort of you know, through your answer, maybe like what kind of stats you're looking at. So when we're talking about like Luis Castillo versus Sonny Gray, um, the nice thing about debating these two is the park factors are are the same, you know, Uh, the schedule should probably line up uh, to, to be very, to be similar for them, even though, you know, you can kind of miss a team and, you know, hit a team, but whatever. Um, So how are you going to differentiate between Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray at this point? Can I, is crying an option? <laughs> if so, then I'm open to that. Boy, it's really difficult right now because you look across the board on their on their st- statistical profiles and it's hard to find anything that's too different except for the fact that Gray has 10 points more in his strikeout rate, but nothing else underneath that really justifies that 10 point difference from 29% to 19%. Um, you know, they're walking the same, they're swinging strike rates dead even to like 11.2 to 11.1. It's like darn near to the percentage there. Um, and so I wonder, you know, you could dig in and probably see some stuff in pitch, in pitchers counts where Gray's not, where Gray's finishing guys off and Castillo isn't. 
Between the two, here's the thing. Early on when Castillo was struggling, I was like, hey, he's a slow starter. He's a warm weather guy. I think we've we've shown that there's a there's some cold weather issue there. And I thought that he would start to turn it around uh, as the spring morphed into summer. Well, that has not happened. And I have concerns now that run deeper than, oh, he's going to figure it out. So between those two, I'm going to take Gray. I worry that Castillo has lost the feel uh, for really any of his pitches at this point, but particularly that changeup, which was such a driving force of his uh, of his arsenal throughout his career. It's still the best of his pitches, uh, but that is in extreme quotes because none of his pitches are working well. And the fastball has gotten so bad that the slider and changeup can't really overcome it at this point. So I'm going to go gray. Uh, you, you know, you've taught me about how that extra pitch, four pitches versus three, can be so valuable. Um, and yeah, the changeup is like a show me type of offering for gray. It's not a, a, a total pitch, but he's got a deeper arsenal. Uh, he's had better command of it right now. Uh, at least it seems like I'd, I'd be interested in their command plus numbers. I'm going to go gray here over Castillo and I'm dropping Castillo in some of the shower leagues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting answer. I, I try, I try to keep away from, um, you know, my uh, boutique uh, black box uh, stats from uh, being too much of a crutch. Uh, so I, I like uh, I like to sort of feel my way through some of those things. You know, Command Plus actually has them about the same, which is surprising because in the past, um, you know, uh, Castillo's had really good Command Pluses. So, yeah, um, you know, there's something to me that's interesting about guys who are Command first and the stuff is a little bit uh, just behind the, the, the Command is that I think that some years they hit some sort of injury um and the when the command plus is gone they have no stuff plus to fall back on um whereas yes, gray exactly. gray's always had slightly better stuff plus numbers slightly better strikeout rates he's kind of a more traditional pitcher in that he's got a great breaking ball in a league right now that loves great breaking balls mm-hmm. um and you have to remember sometimes to be like uh stuff plus i think and command plus are really shine when like Alec Manoa comes up, Shane McClanahan comes up, and Vladimir Gutierrez comes up. Mm-hmm. And you might joke and say, well, you could just use Prospect Predaby or like even just like watch the game or something. But, um, you know, like I think that uh, sometimes it's not very obvious. Gutierrez had a pretty good first game. You know, there's a lot of people who said, like, what, you know, why don't we jump on him? Well, his stuff plus was terrible. So, okay, I was going to ask, how, how bad was it? Because uh, I, I <laughs> you know, he has a giant spider. Uh, yes. tattoo on his yes, neck that so tattoo is he, crazy. He, he's become a bit of a cult favorite in my stream we call him spider neck because um his mlb the show card is him just molina scare the crap out of him. yeah like it's horrifying so when he came up we were all pretty excited in my twitch chat and i analyzed the start and i was like this was not good i didn't even put a dollar bid on him in any Nowhere. of my leagues and i have some deep leagues where you would think he would be interesting and i i didn't get there so i'm glad i saw in the in the numbers that it was worrisome and i wanted to ask you what the 69. stuff plus nine that's not surprising that is not nice you might expect us to say nice but that that's is the opposite nice. that's very very bad and it was it was evident if you did a little under the hood look like nothing looked great there and even if you watched the game he was kind of like again the results were good but we watched a lot of the game and it was like i don't yeah. see a lot here now he may get better because that was an uh ugly weather game in in Chicago, like the wind howling and, and it's his matter, debut so. and that stuff sort of matters, but I would not rush out to get him without seeing something 
drastically different than what we saw in that opener from Vladimir Gutierrez. Fun guy with the spider neck tattoo. Don't cross him, but also don't pick him up. But like, yeah. And so like, you know, here's another stuff plus number that might surprise you because uh, he's uh, doing really well. Uh, let me just load it. Uh, he's also in the news right now for some unfortunate comments by broadcaster. Marcus Stroman has a 75 stuff plus. Whoa. He's been excellent results wise. So what, what is the disconnect? What's his, what's his command plus? Is he winning by command? Is he winning by key ground balls? Like, uh, what, what's, what's the disconnect there? Because well, he's got a 266 ERA, 106 whip. So everyone's saying like, he's been great. And then you bring up the stuff and it's, Right, so that's worrisome. The, the uh, location plus is is uh, sort of a location plus command plus thing. It, it's re- it's really above average, and so is his command plus. So, I think uh, part of it is command. He's he's uh, also, and this is the hardest thing to um, nail down. Is like right now he's throwing five pitches, maybe six. I mean, he's still throwing the occasional curveball. Yep. So. Uh, what he's almost like in that uh, Ryu, uh, you know, Ryu to Roark. I mean, the Roark is the bottom of it, but that sort of that Gibson, ha <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Gibson. Gibson. He had to get a mention. Uh, I, did, to. I had to get him in. Had uh, to. He's in that group of pitchers that just have a lot of pitches that uh, they have good command of. Um, mm-hmm. I would also think that you know, looking back on his matchups, he's had primo matchups. Uh, his his home park is pretty uh pitcher friendly uh compared True. to to a lot of parks so i i find him fascinating but i also think that there are aspects that either we haven't captured yet like stuff plus is in its fairly infancy i mean we've been i've been studying it for a long time but the, in this iteration it's only sort of two years three years old mm-hmm. um so we could and then we there's deception um, you know, there's deception, there's uh, the interaction between park and because park can actually change your stuff plus a little bit. So, you know, like if you, Herman Marquez's curveball doesn't move as much in cur- in, in cores, so exactly. you can actually change his, his stuff plus. So there's some interactions between park and stuff plus there's deception, uh, sequencing, I guess, uh, coaching, uh, which I hope is, is captured a little bit by location plus, which is saying, is this guy throwing these pitches to the right locations? Yeah, creating your uh, game plan and hitting your spots based on that game plan. Right, and and so maybe he's being coached really well. Uh, maybe there's something that's deceptive about what he does. Maybe Seam Sifted Wake is not being uh, is not being fa- captured fully. So I don't want to uh, say that Marcus Stroman is terrible because a stuff plus number is terrible. I'd rather uh, save that for uh, a pitcher that doesn't have a track record. So exactly. it's interesting to think about Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo in this light, which is like. Um, what can stuff plus tell me about a guy who, uh, who has been around for a while? What I can tell you is that, uh, Luis Castillo stuff plus is trending, uh, upwards, but it is nowhere near where it was last year. So you could read that two ways and be like, oh yeah, with the, with the weather, he'll get there. But also he may never get to where he was last year. True. Uh, and so I kind of, I like that you kind of work that through with like the different pitches and maybe he's just lost some sort of feel or. Maybe maybe he was more of a command first guy than we thought, um, and this year there's something wrong. I think I think that that might be it. Um, something command drove wrong. him more. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I worry about too. Is and I've been hearing that I've been seeing like kind of joking tweets about Snell, Blake Snell. Like when's the when's the IL stint coming for him to kind of you know? Because sometimes 
I've, I've heard a player say like, once the season starts, everybody's got something. You could put yeah. them on the IL with something. And it might have been you who actually told me that because obviously you interact with players and you've talked uh, with them about how at the end of the year, they'll be like, I was dealing with this, that, and the other yeah. starting May May 1st and then for the final five months. So I wonder if there's something there where he's just trying to play through it and it's not working with Castillo and Snell, to be honest, because they're just so drastically different than any time that we've seen them. There has to be more than just like degradation of skill. I'm just not satisfied with like, oh, they're just not that good this year. Um, yeah. So you know, I, pitch I wonder... mix can actually affect stuff plus too. Because if you have a bad pitch that you're throwing more often, some part of what's going on with Snell is that I think his changeup is no good. It's funny and because he he's loves fallen that in love pitch. It. He loves it. He talks he about it. He loves it. He listened uh, to our podcast, mine and Nick's, and uh, I was like, "Hey, check this out." We talked about you. He's like, "Hey, man, y'all are all wrong. My favorite pitch is my changeup. It's yeah. my best pitch." And we were like, "Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Good to learn." It was great that he listened to it. We were happy. So I've been focused on that for years now, and it's like maybe it's it not, shouldn't be your favorite pitch. You this can't year. command it as well as his other pitches. It leads to and more they walks. Know. The batters know they're just they're Maybe they just on lay it. off it. Yeah. Yep. So I I don't I think he should throw the change up less. Uh, so that changes the stuff plus number. Um, mm-hmm. I have a uh, hopefully I, I have this sort of console for stuff plus that people see cards from on Twitter that um, I'm hoping to kind of release at some point. But yeah. um, there has been some degradation of it in his four seam fastball uh, with mm-hmm. stuff plus. Uh, so. You know, the, the breaking balls still look pretty good uh, by Stuff Plus, but the fastball has kind of seen some degradation. So, you know, maybe something's going on there. I, I still think of Blake Snell as a buy low. Overall, Stuff Plus 109, uh, even as it's fallen off a little bit recently, he's still above average there. Uh, I think he could reduce his changeup usage, uh, increase his breaking ball usage, and uh, have a good stretch. So, and then with Sunny Gray, I think you know some of the the oldest school stats that we look at strikeouts minus walks, uh, they speak kindly of him. You know, yes, so exactly. And so I think that that's something to to keep an eye on too. Sometimes just the, uh, the and there's the, no the, like underlying there's no underlying degradation of stuff. And there's like okay, he's given up maybe a couple homers that he that he won't in the future. So I think that's a that's a good outline there to uh, to go ahead and go by go by Snell, but uh, would you do the same on on Castillo? I've been having a harder time with him, and what I, I'm realizing now, I should have just uh, ranked Sonny Gray. I might have ranked Sonny Gray ahead of him, but um, uh, yeah, I, I kept I kept dropping him. But that there's some point where like you drop him to a point where you you wouldn't actually buy low on him. Like I I dropped him to like top 40 like back in top 40 mm-hmm. but that doesn't i think that would actually say don't buy low because yeah but- when you even when you buy low the person selling is probably saying like i'm selling a, a sp1 or sp2 so maybe like you can pay him you can buy him for like sp2 pricing but, but i'm actually saying he's, he's the four, three or four three. right yeah so I'd only buy him as like maybe an sp5 pricing because i might only be getting sp3 or four going forward and i want to get a you got to get a discount. I got to get a discount. Right? But yep. who's going to sell Luis Castillo yep. at SB5? That's the problem. And we've talked about this in the fantasy industry at large. Hate when people just say go out and buy low and they don't give any idea of what that looks like or how that will happen. Because, again, people aren't just looking to sell top assets that they paid second, third round prices for for guys that you picked up off the waiver wire, some poo-poo platter of six players. And so the discussion needs to be there. And I think you're highlighting why it's harder, easier said than done to just 
go by low. But then, but then it's also really hard without knowing your league settings. And then sometimes your league has been together for years. Like, you know, oh, John doesn't trade pitching or whatever. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, exactly. And then people are like, oh, who can I trade Luis Castillo for? And I'm like, just, just generally, just like all of the players in the world. Who it's, can you it's, trade it for? it's so hard when they ask that question. I said, I don't know. What Please would you give me some is? names. And the best thing yes. that someone can do in a chat format is to actually go and do some of the work and go and look. And this team needs pitching or hitting. And they have Luis Castillo. Or this team needs pitching. and Find some needs on other teams. Find some available players. And then come back and be like, I could trade Luis Castillo for Brandon Lau. Boom, boom, or boom. Yep. Mike Moustakas or this guy who would fit my needs. And I think I could get him. What do you think? Then I can, then it's way easier for me to be like, oh yeah, yeah, Moose should get hot, you know, that one. So anyway, yeah, do a little I, bit. I totally agree with that because if you just say, who am I getting for so-and-so? I don't know. Whoever your league will give you. No, I totally yes. agree. You got to do some legwork there and make sure too. Uh, another big flaw when trading is like, make sure your, your team that you're trading with could use a pitcher on a buy low scenario. Yeah, it doesn't, like if the, they've got Cole and Bauer as their top two, they don't need pitching. So it doesn't matter that you want. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter that you want player X. I think sometimes yeah. we, too many players, too many fantasy players are too selfish in what they look for. Cause they just want a certain player. There, even there's, though there's some research on this, that, that you do better in negotiations. If you can put yourself in their shoes and examine their needs and like, just try to say, would I take this deal if I was that? Yeah, be honest with yourself. You wouldn't take the crap that you're offering, so don't offer <laughs> yeah. it to else. You know, it's like, come on, you're trying to get over. I used to be the guy, and I'll freely admit this, and I, I now roast this person, but uh, I used to be the guy who would write you like a dissertation on why you should take the trade because <laughs> I'll give you this whole detail about how great my guys are. And one time, this guy in my league. If they're uh, so great, I, why are you trading them? <laughs> His name is Josh, and he listens to a lot of pods, so he might listen to this. He basically goes, well, then why are you trading him, man? I'm like, you know what? You're right. That's fair. And from that day forward, I was like, stop selling your players like that. If I communicate with somebody beyond the trade offer itself, it's usually about, uh, I could see this person starting for you here. Yeah. And and you have a surplus here. If I'm misreading that and you see something else, then just tell me. Then like, by oh, all means. That guy wouldn't start for my team. Okay, then you don't see that. Then then I'll try to either go higher here or lower here or do something yep. else. Yeah, but, but don't uh, tell you don't tell them how great the players are because then they're just going to say the evaluation well, then you is what keep we're them. in this for. We're we're all yep. trying to evaluate these players. So you have your opinion of how good these players are. I need to know how like how they fit your team and if you, if they actually would start if they, if they fit their needs. But and so a lot of this discussion also gets harder to me w- around the fringes where you could just drop the guy. So True. a lot of times the question of uh, buy low or sell high is less meaningful. Maybe your league doesn't have trades. There's a lot of leagues mm-hmm. like that. Um, and All then, of NFBC. And then, yeah. And then, and, or maybe, uh, Maybe it doesn't matter what you think of what I think of Luis Castillo. There's just no market for him. You know, like mm-hmm. I've been trying to sell him and no one's buying. So, you know, your buy low, sell high doesn't matter to me. The market has spoken, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Luis Castillo is a drop yet. I think it, I it's either. harder for these next two names where, um, you know, and, and I might have been wrong on one of these. Uh, Jameson Tyon and Eduardo Rodriguez. I might have been wrong on both of these guys. Uh, but, um, you know. Are they droppers for you at this point? I was right there with you with Tyone. And then uh, 
I saw this tweet from this guy, Anas Cerise. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And uh, he was responding to somebody else's tweet, uh, Alex Rinaldi's, that was highlighting some big trouble with Jamison Tyon. And this was one where, like, the stats backed up what I was kind of seeing. Because I, I was big. I, you mentioned that you were, might have been wrong on one of these guys. I imagine it was Tyon. Are you sa- are you saying that you might? Because I was huge on Tyon. I going think I might have been wrong with both these guys. I, I ranked them fairly aggressively. I, I oh. might... I might still double down on one, so I'm letting I'm uh, letting you I'm letting you ramble first. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm not. If it's Eduardo, then I'll be listening because you can sell me because I'm not a huge Eduardo guy. I kind of think he is what he is, which is uh-huh. not a 564 ERA by the way. I think he'll get right. back into his high threes. But Tyon, I thought he was going to be a G. I'm like he he brought that slider on the last time that we saw him. Yeah. I think he's healthy. He missed enough time to where he can come back fully, but he's been so inconsistent. And then the tweets that from you and Alex uh, highlighting where his stuff has. Been been going and the issues with his with his curveball are very concerning and that's something right now where i'm like oh no this is this is very scary from him and if i was going to drop one of these two if i was forced into a situation where i had to drop one even though tyon's been better i think he's the drop because if this stuff obviously this stuff could change with with his with his stuff sorry uh to keep using that word but you guys highlighted how the stuff plus was dropping like and alex the, highlighted the fastball the, velo is 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 uh is okay, but yeah, but the breaking ball velo yeah. was what what Alex was zooming in on too. And if those things don't change, he's going to continue to struggle this year and really be kind of an up and down t- sort of guy. And my biggest concern with him is that home run rate, which is at one point nine and does not come with an accompanying gaudy homer to fly ball rate. It's sixteen percent, which a is tough park. Yeah, and he's a 13% career guy. And two of his away parks can be difficult, too, with Toronto, regardless of where they're playing, whether it's Dunedin, Buffalo, or Toronto. They're all hitters' parks. And then Camden in the summer is hell on pitchers who allow homers. So I'm worried that that's not going to come down and that it's going to be a problem for him all year. So I look at a 373 Sierra, and I see that it's good, and somebody will probably pick him up if I drop him. But if I have to drop somebody in a shower league right now, Unfortunately, it's Tyon, even though I loved him coming into the year. I was concerned going in and then literally seeing y'all's tweets today. I'm like, well, that kind of marries with what I was seeing with the eye test. Now here's the numbers test to back it up. This is scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, the eye testers have been uh, have been getting on me for Tyon for um, I think the late home run issues. I mean, I've watched I've watched a, a fair amount of starts. I think the late home run, the late sort of blow up inning. Uh, a mm-hmm. little bit of problem getting through the third time through the order. I don't think that he should have that problem necessarily because he still has the show me change. He still has the two breaking balls, the fastball. He, he's even working the sinker back in. So there is a potential here for, you know, maybe two of the pitches being show me, but like five pitch mix. I don't think he's like a two pitch guy, even if the slider is the best, uh, the best secondary. Yeah. Um, and so I still see potential there. I think I also maybe underrated Yankee stadium is so bad. Such a tough park that, like, I mean, just imagine Severino and Herman and Cole as pirates. I feel <laughs> oh my like gosh, it would be unreal. We'd all be writing fluff pieces about how they've got the best rotation of all time, or whatever. Yep. So I, uh, I think that uh, Yankee Stadium is just a really tough park. It may not be all the way to Coors, but it is very similar to like a Cincinnati. Yes, um, and 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 they don't they don't get like we talk about it. We know that it's a hitter's park, but I don't think we express enough how difficult it can be on pitchers and how somebody like Tyone 
might be a sit at home right now, not necessarily a cut, but maybe you only sit them, you only start them in, in road matchups or friendly home matchups as opposed yeah. to just start all the time, which is what I was doing with him at the start of the year. And that's actually a, a big differentiator for me between these two guys, because Eduardo Rodriguez uh, was always a guy whose command plus was his best feature. And th- even this year, 112 command plus um, and 83 overall, uh, 84 overall stuff plus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the one thing that I like about if I had, I think both these guys would be kind of be closer to bench right now than to in my lineup. Uh, the one thing that I like about having Tylen on my bench is that I have something to look for. Yes, you know exactly what we're I'm trying looking to analyze. To what, I'm looking at the breaking balls and waiting for harder stuff from the breaking balls. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'd be looking for right now. With Eduardo Rodriguez, it's just not obvious to me what uh, what is missing or what he could do better. He's throwing all four of his pitches. They're all mediocre. Yeah, they're all fine, but like they're all mediocre. Special. He still has the command that he that he normally has, and so maybe it's just that he's he's not that good. Like he's closer to Rourke than to Ryu. You know I, I, mean? I totally agree. Like, I, and that's that's kind of where I've been with him, and he has performed well throughout his career to kind of beat where I am with him as far as my projection on Eduardo versus his projection. But maybe this is the year where he's like a 430 ERA at, at season's end. Now that's still a run off of the ERA that he has right now, a run uh, 1.3 runs. But are, are you starting a 430 guy in 10s and 12s and even 15s? Are you necessary? Because he always has a big whip too. One of the things is, is that his, his sub four ERA allows you to take on the the higher whip. So I think that there is some great concern with uh, Edu- Eduardo Rodriguez that he just doesn't come back this year to being the guy that we've seen in previous years. Yeah, there's some drop off in the swing strike rate. The the twenty uh, percent K minus BB, you know, good Sierra and, and XFIP. There, those are those speak well of him. Um, but you know, league average X K minus BB right now is like close to sixteen percent. Exactly. So, it's kind of close to average. And then his ballpark factors in some ways are just as bad as, as Tyon's because he's got the same problems away from home. And then even at home, even though it's not about homers necessarily in Fenway, it's about hits though hits. And so yeah, the there, hits will just you look at his whip up. and you're like, Oh yeah, that's, he's probably going to have us like kind of a high, but bad at home. So, um, I could see dropping both these guys, uh, honestly. And, uh, I'll take the L's on them. Um, I, you know, I would be a little bit closer to holding Tyon just because I could, yes. I could be like, okay, I, I'm gonna, I, I they're don't both on my bench. You know, I, I want to watch and see if the, the breaking balls start matching the, the fastballs of velocity where he's hurt. Yeah, I, I don't want to cut him. But if I had to cut one, if I had both, I still I think I would cut Tyon right now. But like you said, actually, maybe not like what you, what you said about having one thing to look for maybe reverses that cut Eduardo Keep tying on your bench, and then when you see that curveball velo get back on track, because they put them in, because they might honestly both be cuts, right? Yeah, they they really are. They're uh, very close. They're name, they're big names, so you can at least put them out on the trade block, but you're not getting anything back. So if you just want something besides cutting them, you can do that kind of trade. But otherwise, uh, do not expect a whole lot from them in the short term, especially because they need to they need to fix things. Tyon, we know what he needs to fix. Eduardo, I just it's not. It's more of a nebulous. Me. We don't really know because everything's kind of meh. Yeah, I guess you know fewer bad. You know Babbitt. You could really focus on Babbitt for him, but I think you know Zips gives him like a three twenty three Babbitt going forward, and they might be right because that's a Fenway. There's probably a Fenway effect there. Has to be. Has yeah. to be for sure. 
Well, that is going to wrap things up here for Rates and Barrels and uh, Sleeper in the Bust converging to be one. Uh, Love it. And uh, thanks so much to Paul Spore for, for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, and you can follow Spore at, at Spore, S-P-O-R-E-R, uh, on Twitter. And what's your Twitch handle? Same. Twitch.tv slash Spore. So you can follow me there on both. Eno, great, great, great talking with you. We may have a chance to see each other before Fall League, though. Girlfriend and I are talking about going out to California, running into you and Mason. So uh, I'll keep you posted on that. Sweet. Go attend a game or something. That'd be fun. Exactly. That'd be wonderful. So thank you so much for having me on, man. It was great talking with you. And uh, uh, you can can follow us at – you can follow me at E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. You cannot follow Derek Van Riper into vacation (laughs) like we all would like to. Um, And we'll be back on Friday – We've got a special guest on Friday, Andrew Perpetua, a former analyst uh, for uh, the New York Mets. And we'll be talking about the future and past of uh, baseball analysis so that he's a he's a crazy guy. So we'll probably talk about some weird stuff you've never thought of before. Um, And uh, thanks again to Spore and thanks to everyone. And thanks for listening.